our chapter for today is Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you've read the chapter prior to coming to this podcast, which I, I hope you always do, uh, you'll know that Second Peter 2 is not light reading. Um, if you recall many of the warnings we've encountered in the book of Hebrews, this chapter feels like, from beginning to end, a sustained and hard-hitting warning against certain professing, quote-unquote, believers whose lifestyles and teaching are contrary to the character and will of Christ. There is a sustained emphasis on the blessing promised to those who faithfully follow Christ and the judgment that certain certainly awaits those who don't. Uh, it's a sober chapter, sobering one. But one, God felt necessary to leave us in Scripture for our instruction. So uh, let's take a closer look at it and think about a couple of things. First, early in this chapter, Peter mentions false teachers who were in the church and of the various things that he will have to say about them, he says in verse 1, they are, quote, denying the master who bought them. Denying the master who bought them. Now, this has led some to the conclusion that these false teachers were once saved, once bought, quote-unquote, by the blood of Christ, but subsequently lost that salvation by denying Jesus through their false teaching and false beliefs. This is a question worth considering. I suppose if 2 Peter 2.1 were the only scriptural testimony we had on the matter, then that interpretation might find some warrant. Unfortunately, or I would say fortunately for us, for those who hold that position, Scripture is filled with other evidence that makes that interpretation implausible. Consider, for example, what Jesus himself said in John 10 of his own impending death on the cross. He told the Pharisees in John 10:11 that he is the good shepherd and that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just a few verses later, he would emphasize that truth again, saying in John 10:15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, with that in mind, consider what Jesus would say just a few verses after that about the sheep for whom he would die. This is John 10:27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So every single believer, that is every sheep, as he puts it in John 10, who has been bought with his redeeming blood, has the promise of Jesus Christ himself that they will never perish but have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus was substituting his life for yours. That is not something that can be given and taken away, gained and then lost again. It's a historical fact. So to interpret 2 Peter 2.1, when Peter says, even denying the master who bought them, interpreting that to mean that these false teachers had once been bought, that is, redeemed, saved, um, and then subsequently lost that privilege by later denials is flatly to contradict the, the clear teaching of other passages of Scripture. Of that much, we can be sure. But then, what exactly does Peter mean, then, when he says denying the master who bought them? 
Why does he say it that way? The most reasonable explanation is that Peter was simply using the normal, charitable manner of speech we use of professing believers in the church. These false teachers, quote-unquote, were in the church. And they, 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 they had presumably some outward level professed faith in Jesus Christ and gave, at least for a time, every appearance of being a genuine believer. We, not being God and thus lacking the divine ability to see into the heart of a person as God can, see 1 Samuel 16, 7, we, we say, based on their profession of faith in Jesus, that they're saved and have been bought or redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's the promise to everyone who believes, John 6, 40. And so we say it based on their professed belief. But if later actions prove that that confession of faith um, to have been false, then in a manner of speaking, they're denying the master who bought them, i.e. they are leaving and shunning the promises of the faith that they once professed to believe. One further point on the matter is gleaned from the fact that the Old Testament passages Peter mentions as the chapter proceeds. He raises several Old Testament examples of God's judgment on those who denied faith in him, that is, fallen angels in verse 4, the generation of Noah in verse 5, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in, in verses 6 through 8. But intermingled in almost all of those examples of judgment on unbelievers, there is the constant reminder of God's saving preservation of believers. So, when he judged the world by a flood, in verse 5, he preserved Noah and seven others. And when he burned Sodom and Gomorrah in fatal judgment, we are reminded in verse 7 that he rescued Lot. So, though God's judgment is certain and severe for unbelievers, it is just as certain, according to verse 9, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. For this reason, God most definitely preserves and rescues those who genuinely belong to him. Uh, and, and, and because of that, it is more than doubtful that Peter is saying that some who were genuinely bought by the blood of Christ at some time later lost it through unfaithfulness as if God uh, quit being faithful to those who were genuinely his. That's just not a plausible um, uh, interpretation. But it is a good admonition for us to press on in perseverance. Well, secondly, let's think about the deceitfulness of sin. Another quick observation about this chapter is the incredible testimony given to the dangerous deceitfulness of sin. Peter talks about the false teachers who deny the Lord they once professed to believe, and he reminds them and the church in verse 3 that their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Why say that? Because the longer we persist in a sin without any apparent consequences— the more deceived and hardened we become in it and convince ourselves that there never will be any consequences for our sin. We might think uh, the judge, figuratively, is idle or asleep. But Peter puts a quick end to that notion. Nevertheless, the, the sinner becomes hardened and deceived by his sin. And Peter says the longer it continues... He says in verse 10 that sinners become bold and willful in the sin and do not tremble at the thought of standing before God. Many, well, really all of us by nature, go about, in verse 12 and 13, blaspheming about matters of which we're ignorant and count it a pleasure to revel in our sins. 
Peter continues his frightful description saying that those who become hardened and deceived have eyes full of adultery, verse 14, insatiable for sin. And because of the persistence of the disobedience, have hearts trained in greed. It's a sobering thought, but so very instructive to know that sin can deceive us so thoroughly if we do not keep our hearts tender toward the Lord and to his will. Thirdly and finally, um, this chapter ends with one more sobering reminder that emphasizes strongly that the, uh, the more we know, the more for which we are accountable to God. Peter says plainly, it would have been better not to have known than to know and later to turn away from it. As we said earlier, God will certainly preserve and rescue from judgment those who truly belong to him. But uh, part of what that means is that each day he gives us in the meantime, he works in us so that we actively fight against our sin and its tendencies to lead us away from the Lord and his will. We're accountable for the knowledge we have. We've been given much, and so from us, much is expected. See also Luke 12, 48. But those are a few thoughts from Second Peter chapter 2.